Thank you for listening to a Christ-centered message from Grace Community Church. We are committed to proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology and trust that you will receive encouragement as we study today's passage together. We are here in the new year facing all of the challenges that are at the outset of another year. As the people of God, we never expect a new year. That'll solve all our problems. No, God is faithful. He was faithful last year. He is faithful today, and he will be faithful always. Soon we are going to enter into a, uh, our next book study. We're going to study the Old Testament book of Nehemiah. All right, rise up and build. And that is, that is fitting for our congregation in the season that we were in. I was called to serve here in 2006, our first series that some of you, uh, we were younger then, but we began was, Who is Jesus Christ? And uh, I, I did not know all that I needed to know to, to serve as a pastor, I will tell you that. But I knew this, in all of my ignorance, I knew if we're ever going to be on the same page and accomplish anything that's worthwhile, we're going to have to agree on who is Jesus Christ. Is he worthy of our lives? Is he worthy of our worship? Is he worthy of sacrifice? That, that study was foundational to us. It was fundamental to us as a congregation. So if you are, are new with us, if you're joining us online, uh, maybe you're looking for a church home, part of our DNA and what we do is we take uh, a book by book and we, we study through, pass, through Scripture in that way. We will take a New Testament book and an Old Testament book. We'll go back to the New Testament and Old Testament. We go back and forth. So right now we're between our studies of a book. Usually uh, when we're in between studies, I'll I'll do a message or two on uh, one of the fundamentals of the faith or the supremacy of Scripture or the ordinances of the church, baptism, communion. What do we believe about these things? And a lot of ministry is a lot like parenting. It's just reminding. It's reminding. It's going back to the basics. Who are we and what are we supposed to be doing? We have a commitment. It's one of our five distinctives, and it is Christ-centered preaching. It's the heart that everywhere, whether we're in the New Testament or Old Testament, we're looking Where do we see Christ? In the Old Testament, he was foretold. In the New Testament, incarnated, revealed. And we see his church. So we take these times because we never want to forget why are we here and what are we supposed to be doing? Now, before I came, the church had hammered out a purpose statement. We exist to glorify God. That is the overarching command. Make much of Christ. We don't add to his glory, okay? We simply declare his glory. We simply announce his glory, and we long for others to come into the the number of those who glorify God. And how do we do this? Well, we want to reach people for Jesus Christ. We want to see them connected. We want to see them follow Christ in baptism, become a member, an active member of the congregation, that they are saved for a purpose, for a reason. Connect, equip them to grow in their faith. How do we do that? Primarily through the preaching of God's word. That's what we're doing right now. Our Bible's open, our heart's open to learn, humble before the Lord, that God will teach us his word, his truth. 
and we want to see them equipped. And what will be the end result? It's not just sitting. It's not just watching. It's where can I serve? How can I be part of what God is doing here and around the world? And this is our purpose statement. Paul emphasized the identity of the church to Timothy, the younger minister, 1 Timothy 3, verse 14. Paul says, I hope to come to you soon. I want to get there. But I'm writing these things to you so that, listen up, Timothy, if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God. What are you talking about, Paul? Household of God, the family of God. What are you talking about? Let me answer that, Paul would say, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Do you hear what he's saying to Timothy? You have to know, I'm entrusting you. The Holy Spirit has placed you, called you to serve. This is a magnificent responsibility. It's the church. So we hear politicians speak a lot of infrastructure, right? We heard this word a lot lately, infrastructure. Now, everything that gets lumped into that under the word infrastructure, you often wonder, is, does that really fit in infrastructure? But it is an important word. When we think about our roads and bridges and sewer systems and electrical grids, we want those responsible to be doing a good job with those, right? We remember incidents, people on the way into Minneapolis crossing the bridge, what was it, I-35 some years ago, and some, their lives ended that day. Why? Because someone wasn't doing their job taking care of the bridge. And their lives were ended or forever changed on that day. You can build a beautiful skyscraper, pick any city, invest millions, even get into the B, billions into a skyscraper. But if you don't have running water and a good sewer system, what do you have? You have a wasted endeavor. You have something beautiful in the skyline that nobody can go in and inhabit if there's not a good infrastructure to that building. When it comes to a church family, when it comes to a church life, yes, we endeavor to plan that by God's grace, our, our plan is to build a building on the corner of 30 and Forest, and we've been working on this for decades now as a church, long before I came. But you can build a building, but that doesn't ensure, that doesn't fix, or it doesn't make certain that the church will be healthy. What are the aspects that that guarantee or lead to a healthy church. It's exactly what we've been doing and by God's grace will be doing. And men, can I say, it often begins with us. Show me the spiritual fervor and the dedication, the commitment of men in a congregation and the church will be likewise. It will follow lead. How, are, how well are we leading in our families? That's why we're gonna gather this Saturday. It's not anything new. It's just going back through and encouraging one another as brothers in Christ, as part of the family of God. That's how we'll have a healthy church and maintain a healthy church. My life and really our life as a family, we're redirected, okay? Um, 
Illinois. I served there for five years with Ginger. Emma was born shortly after we moved to Kentucky, and, and I was working down there, and, and I was in uh, children that were at risk, I, I, you know, uh, seeing them, a service coordinator with, with a company, and Ginger was doing court reporting, and finally our, our budget was beginning to, to, to make ends meet, you know, finally it was starting to happen, and she was working, and I was working, and family was around us, and then the call came that the church in Sterling Heights needed a youth pastor. Bad timing, I thought, you know, and there were other things and events going on in our lives, and I actually told uh, the pastor that I said, no, now is not the time. Hmm. We hung up the phone. He called back. I don't know how long later it was. He said, you know, can I ask you a question? I said, sure. He said, have you been called by God to preach? I said, yes. I'm offering, he was a good salesman, I'm offering you a place to come and invest and preach into the lives of students. Why would you say no? I mean, he buttonholed me. That was high-pressure sales. And I said, here's the deal. I said, Wayne, we're going on vacation. We are going on vacation with our friends. I said, Ginger and I will pray about it. You ever had anybody tell you they'll pray about it? Well, we were serious about it. We went, and God gave us a peace. And we came back, and I said, all right. And our family in Kentucky, some of them were saying, what, there's no churches in Kentucky? You got to move to Michigan? Why would you move all the way up there? Why? Because we knew it was the will of God. And then ministry unfolded there, and the page turned, and we came here. But my life was changed by that one person just setting truth in front of me, saying, my issue isn't, you know, your issue isn't with me. Your issue is with your calling. Your issue is with God. He's called you, and I'm simply offering you a place to do your calling. Why would you say no? I'm thankful for that kind of friendship, for that kind of conviction. And perhaps a message that we're going to dive into today might be that for some of you, for some who are watching online, and I'm thankful for that avenue, especially for when people are not feeling well, that they can join in. But I'll say this, I was not here last week. I was online, and online is no substitute for being an in-person. I mean, just being with and together, it's appropriate when we cannot be, but it is not appropriate as a substitute to be living together with the people of God. And some of you remember that Easter Sunday, 2006, and right down here in this spot in the carpet is where I stood and I said, let's lock arms together. For the glory of God, let's lock arms together. And I didn't know all that would be needed to know of pastoral ministry. But can I tell you this? God has been good and God has been faithful. We've sung about that today. He's been faithful to challenge and to change me and to change us, that we are maturing, that we are growing in grace. So here we are. We're coming up on year 60. 1962, this church was founded, April. We're coming up on a celebration of 60 years as a church. And so that's, it's going to be fitting for us to move into the book of Nehemiah. 
Um, in a couple of weeks, next Sunday, you heard it announced, we're going to be installing Jay as an elder here. So that's going to be an ordination service. That's a, just a, a reminder, a charge given to this man to serve with us in the body of Christ, knowing that God is raising up others who will serve and the church will carry forward on mission, sustained by the Holy Spirit and by grace, that God will be faithful to this generation and the next generation until Christ returns and we add our voice with a thousand generations around the throne. Worthy is the Lamb. Amen. So as we gather this morning, men, as we gather this coming Saturday, understand churches all over the world have been tested in the past two years. Our church has been tested. It's actually a refining process. There are people who were nominally, they, they liked or they enjoyed going to church and then COVID happened and it sifted through their commitments. This is not just a, a, you know, across the board, but there are people who will get to all types of athletic events, all types of, they'll get to their job because I have to go to my job, I've got to work. They'll get to all the places they need to, but the church hasn't yet made it back on the list. And it's not, I'm not just speaking to people in our church. I'm, I know this from grieving pastors that I am connected with, and they're just wondering what is going on. There were committed people in congregations and they haven't darkened the door since COVID hit. Maybe, maybe through messages like this, the people of God will be reminded of who has saved me, what is the church, and what is my place in the church. And through repentance, return, and return to the first love of worshiping and walking and working together. I praise God for all who have come to faith in Christ through this body of believers. And we trust the Lord for all that will be accomplished this coming year and who will be following Christ, making their, their public faith, uh, pu their faith in Christ public through the waters of baptism to join in with this body as members. Oh, we look forward to this. This morning, we're just gonna simply look at three truths the shape, the identity, and mission of the church. And underneath this is just, there's really three questions about a biblical view. And we'll see these unfold under each of these points. And one question might be this, how does Jesus view his church? And we'll see that in scripture. And how did the early church practice that? And then the third question that we want to answer is, well, how do I respond? How have I responded? How should I respond? Does my response fit the early church, what we see in the early church? Do, am, am I like that? Does it match how Jesus views his church? So the first truth that you can jot down there is the glory of Christ's church was expressed. We see this in scripture. It was displayed. It was expressed. Ephesians Chapter 5, it's a great message uh, for husbands and wives. 
Paul begins, and you know, in our ear, we kind of hear this where like, wives, submit to your husbands. You realize in the first century, speaking to women and them being honored as, listen, this is written to you. This, is, this isn't husbands, make sure your wives submit. This is, hey, ladies, God is speaking to you. Ephesians 5, 22, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor. You see the imagery of a bride here, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh." This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. This is the word of God. Now, loved ones, we're well aware of a recent and growing trend and that is people are forgoing marriage. They're, they're simply choosing to live together, to, to function like they're married, but they're not yet married. They have not covenanted together. They have not come to the altar and laid down and sacrificed their singleness. They're keeping that, and they're simply taking from someone that they're not in a covenant with. That's a popular trend. Where is it coming from? It is not coming from heaven. It's coming from hell. It's coming from Satan because Satan hates everything good. He hates everything that God has made for our good and for God's glory. And so what does he do? He attacks it all. Oh, you don't have to commit to that person. Just do what you want to do. But that's selfish. That doesn't represent Christ's love at all for the church. That doesn't reflect the glory of God. That reflects the temptation in Genesis 3, has God said. God just is trying to hold out on you. No, he's not. He knows the plan. And he's good in his design of it. So we see the glory of Christ's church was expressed, and Paul talks about it here, that the church is the object, letter A, of Christ's love, of his love. This is where we have the pattern for husbands in our relationship with our wives. Jesus was known well 
for authentically loving all people. You think about the woman at the well. Remember when the disciples came back and Jesus is talking to the Samaritan woman and they're like, what? What are you talking to her for? Jesus loved her and she knew it. And he confronted her kindly in her sin and she wasn't offended by him. She was actually in love, attracted to his character. Went to the town, come meet a man that told me everything I've ever done. What? Said a lot of men. And they came. They said, well, we, we believed when you said it, but after we've heard him, boy, now we've really believed. Jesus loved. He loved people, women, men. His love for them was authentic. Jew, Gentile, even Samaritans that were a mix. His love for people was genuine. It was authentic. The religious person, he loved them and he told them the truth. The irreligious person, the Roman, he loved them and he told them the truth. They knew the difference of this man. God did not get his inspiration for Christ's love of the church from marriage, loved, one. he, loved ones. He gave marriage all the way back in the garden. He gave marriage as a foretaste of this is what's coming and it's Christ's love for the church. And that's why Paul is just amazed. This is the mystery. Marriage? No, Christ's love for the church. That's the mystery that marriage reflects. A small token of Peter, the apostle. He wrote this in 1 Peter 2, 9, but you, talking about the church, believers, those who have been saved, you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, that's why I use the word scripture, beloved, loved ones, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. That sounds so much like Matthew 5.16. I think Peter has it echoing in his mind. We're a people, and we don't deserve to be a people, but we've been shown mercy. The church is the object of Christ's love. And Jesus said this after washing the disciples' feet in the upper room. By this, John 13, 35, all people will know that you are my disciples. How, how's this, Lord? By how well we sing? Thank the Lord, no. All right. Uh, by how much we give? Mm, no. You know? How will they know that we belong to Christ, that we're followers of Christ? And he answers the question, if you have love for one another. It's by your love. Well, where do we get this kind of love, this radical love, this selfless love, this sacrificial love? Well, it's Jesus. 
His love for the church. The church is the object of Christ's love. And also, loved ones, the church is the object of Christ's sacrifice. Of his sacrifice. This indeed is a profound mystery. The marriage relationship between a man and a woman is an imperfect echo of the perfect love and commitment of Christ that he has for his bride, the church. He loved his bride, the church, so much that he was willing, Paul says, to give himself for her. God's relationship to his people was firmly established, Old Testament and New Testament, in love. Because he loved his people in the Old Testament, he delivered his word to them. He gave through Moses a deliverer, a rescue. He delivered them out of Egypt. He gave his law to them. If you're going to know how you can live and have me, the living God, in your midst, then it can't be blind, you know, blindfold and let's see what happens here. You have to know this is, this is what I expect of you and I will make a way for you. And they entered into a covenant relationship and Israel was unfaithful in the covenant. And when we get to Nehemiah, there's a reason why we do so much work, Old Testament and New Testament, because you have to understand, I have to be reminded of this. Deuteronomy 6, what we studied last Sunday, here's how you pass the faith along and how did Israel do? (laughs) No. They started looking at the culture around them and they didn't do it. That generation died in the wilderness. Then the next generation went into the Canaan land and the promised land and they conquered it under Joshua. And how did they do? They didn't. And the book of Judges, it goes down and then they have kings and there's three in a united kingdom and then it all falls apart. And God sends his word and God sends his prophets and reminds them and preaches to them. And there it is and they lose it all and they're sent away because God is a faithful covenant partner. He sends them away into exile and when we come back to the book of Nehemiah, they've returned. The temple has been rebuilt but the walls are broken down and the glory of God is, is Nehemiah, he just sees it. It's falling down. It's just falling down. The glory of God just looks trampled on and that's not okay. Let's do something about this. Let's act. Thirdly under here, let us see the the church is the object of Christ's sanctifying power, of his sanctifying power. And this is what husbands are to be to their wives, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. Think about that when a baby is born, I have the picture. I just actually found it. I was, I'm, I'm cleaning, trying to get organized, you know. had a little extra t- time on my hand just sitting at the house. And I was going through all these boxes that have been stored for years. I found an old picture, uh, part of a wallet that doesn't fit in my wallet for a long time. And in this was from a digital camera when Emma was born in Illinois. And we went over with the nurse to the sink And it was her first bath, her first little shower. And the water is washing. She was crying. She's about this big. And we go under the sink and she's crying, crying. And that just that room, that just warm water, not hot, it starts washing over her head. And she was like, "Ah, ah, ah." (laughs) and just froze as the water washed over her and they cleaned her all up and wrapped her and taught me how to do the little papoose and wrap her all up 
so that she was tight. We could never keep Sophie wrapped up. She was like, wow, I will play the drums now, right? <laughs> Emma, man, she just wrapped up. She was like, yeah, this is good. The washing. And this is what, this is what God pictures even in the Old Testament to Israel. He said, you weren't anything special. This is the sovereignty of God. You were like an infant cast out. After birth, you were just laid aside in the desert and I saw you, I found you, and I came and I took you up and I washed you and I adopted you and I made you my own. You weren't a people, Israel, and now I've made you a people. And then Peter writes that same language to Gentiles. He says, that's what God did to Israel and they abandoned him. And so now he's grafted in you and you don't belong and they didn't belong and they didn't deserve his grace, nor do you. And he's made you part of his family. The church, this sacrifice, this power of sanctifying power, his love was planned, his love is permanent and his love is perfecting. It's no chance thing here. It's not fatalism. Whatever will be, will be. Oh no, oh no. God is sovereign and we have a responsibility and he's inviting us into his plan of redemption. Philippians 1.6, our confidence is not in us, loved ones. Our confidence is not in, well, 22. I mean, 21 was bad, so 22, that's gonna be where it's at, no. You know, the next person elected, no, no. Paul says, and I'm sure of this, here's my confidence, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So we don't take this verse and say, Jesus, take the wheel, there it is, you know, he'll do it all. No, no, no. We take our lives and we say, Lord Jesus, you help me with this wheel that you've placed in my hand, whatever responsibilities are in my hand, and you, you govern over me, and I surrender my will to you. Now use me. Letter D, the church is the object of Christ's reward. Of Christ's reward. His passion is so great that he calls us his bride. so that he might, verse 27, present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. I am, I just never cease to be amazed. I don't know how many times I've stood right about here and all the bridesmaids are here, all the groomsmen are here, and the back door opens and the music plays and a bride turns the corner and the congregation is standing and presented to a groom. Now, I haven't had it yet where the groom stands here and the bride is there and the groom's like, uh, there's a door there, there's a door there. I don't know where those doors go. No. The groom goes and prepares, but here's something different. The groom didn't do anything to prepare the bride. Jesus is the one who's preparing us as his bride for himself. This is amazing. This is amazing that we as a church are the object of Christ's reward, that the church 
from all generations, all tribes, all tongues will be clothed in white, pure and spotless at the marriage supper of the Lamb. I just can't help when I'm reading this, think back to August 12th, 1995, and I was standing at the front and the doors opened at the back of Oak Hill Church in Kentucky and Ginger came in. And I know it's hard for you to believe but my eyes. I was just crying. I was a mess. But I blame Dusty, her brother, because he was more a mess down here, about to explode face red, like, you're stealing my sister, you loser. <laughs> and I had been the younger brother at two other weddings, and I was feeling his pain, and like, oh. But that day, the beauty, a bride prepared for a groom, loved ones, this is us. Like, don't forget this when you're thinking, I wonder how the roads are today, and I wonder if we're going to... All of these important things in life, but really don't forget your identity, who you are, who we are in Christ, the object of his reward. Listen to what it says as we think about the future, Revelation 5, verse 9, and they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you, Jesus, were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Think about that. Revelation 22 and verse 17, the spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. And let the one who desires take the water of life. How much does it cost? How much does this salvation cost? How much does it cost to get in this family? It costs everything. And you don't have enough and I don't have enough. Someone else paid the price. The lamb who was slain, amen? We just sang that. Worthy is the lamb who was slain. Oh, this day is coming. But for now, the church is the visible expression of Christ here on earth. So think about who we are. Think about that God in his wisdom entrusted us with his plan, the gospel, to go to all peoples, and it's you, and it's me. Really, kind of nobody's. Nobody's really calling me today for any missing positions, you know, in the NFL or NBA or any major league or, you know, I have no Fortune 500 companies like, yay, we've heard you got some real business skills. What is there really about us that's this valuable? It's who lives in me. It's who lives in you. That I am part of the bride of Christ. I'm his. He sacrificed his life for me and for you and for those who have not yet heard but will hear and come to a saving knowledge of the truth. This is why we must let our lights shine. And our lights shine the brightest when it's the darkest. In times of persecution, 1 Peter 3, Peter writes, but even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. 
Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Does, does this characterize us, loved ones? That people are saying, hey, why are you able to still sing through sorrow? And this isn't a fake, everything's fine when everything's not fine. We walk together and we're able to be honest with one another. No, things aren't great. No, I am struggling. I'm, I'm having doubts. I, I've prayed and, and it's kind of gone the other way. Will you pray with me? Can we take these, these desires that I have and help me sift them before the throne of grace? I need help. We don't have to be all sunshine and it's all fine and wonderful, brother. And No, we don't have to be. That's fake. This is the place where we can be genuine and we can find help that is real and lasting. Yet we have God, we have his word, and we have his people, and we have his spirit. And you need all of it, and I need all of it, and I wouldn't want to live without any one of those components. People often speak of having God's heart for the poor, having God's heart for the lost, or God's heart for the world. But let me ask us all, do we have God's heart for the church? Do you love the church in this way that Jesus said, I will build my church? The gates of Hades will not prevail against it. Listen to what John Stott wrote about the church. He said this, he said, on earth, the church is often in rags and tatters, stained and ugly, despised and persecuted. But one day she will be seen for what she is, nothing less than the bride of Christ, free from spots, wrinkles, or any other disfigurement, holy and without blemish, beautiful and glorious. It is to this constructive end that Christ has been working and is continuing to work the bride does not make herself presentable. It is the bridegroom who labors to beautify her in order to present her to himself. This is the church. And we are called to be imitators of God. We're called to be conformed to the image of his son. Can there be any question how Jesus loves the church? And if I'm gonna be like Jesus, then my love for the church does it look like Jesus' love for his church? If someone truly, they say, oh, I love Jesus. How can you validate that? How can you test that? How do you work through, how, how do you love Jesus? Evaluate the love they have for the church. If someone says, oh, I love my wife, and the wife is behind them going, hmm? <laughs> really? Let me say it a little louder. I love my wife. Could you pick up your socks? Oh, no, I can't do that. Doesn't sound much like love anymore. Does our view of the church correspond with Jesus' glorious view of his church? Secondly, what can we learn about the church? Let's go to Acts chapter 2. The early church, the day of Pentecost... What do we learn about the church from this glorious day? The Spirit indwelled those who were in the upper room. There was a sound. They gathered. There were signs. There was a sermon that Peter preached. 
And then there were salvations. Souls were saved. Acts chapter 2, look at verse 37. I'm going to start there. Now, when they heard this, all right, this message, they were, has this ever happened to you when a sermon is preached, cut to the heart, convicted? They said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are afar off. Hmm, doesn't that sound like Deuteronomy chapter 6? Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they, verse 42, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing to the, pro the proceeds to all as anyone had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Let's unpack this quickly together. Because here we see that the glory of Christ's church was exhibited. That his glory was exhibited through his church. It was displayed. In Acts chapter 2, when we see that Peter preached this message, people were convicted and they said, what I pray people will do after every sermon. What do I do? How do I respond? What should I do now? What's my next step? Will you help me take that step? Well, that's what Peter responded with. And the church here in Acts 2 was made up of those who had been saved. Those who had repented of their sin and trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ alone. They were saved. And so there it is. That's church membership won't save you. But if you have been saved, there's a design for your, your life, and it's to be part, to belong to a local body of believers. The early church was made up not only just of those who had been saved, but also those who had been baptized. And this is in accordance when, when they asked him, what are we supposed to do? Then Peter just responds here in chapter 2 with a nutshell of Matthew 28, the Great Commission, go, make disciples, baptize, teach. And so right here, Peter just cuts to the heart. What are we supposed to do, Peter? Well, you need to repent. And the evidence of you repenting is you're going to walk away, which is what would have happened on this day of Pentecost. You're going to put yourself in harm's way right now. Because when you go through the waters of baptism today, then the Romans will hear you say that Jesus is Lord, and they say Caesar is Lord, so now you're going to be at odds politically. And all of your Judaistic upbringing that says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. In other words, we reject Jesus as God. You're going to immediately going to be at odds with all of your Jewish family. So you're going to be out 
politically, out religiously, but you're going to be brought into a new family spiritually. And all who had been saved said, why are we going to do this again? Because Jesus commanded it. Jesus, God in flesh, born of a virgin, lived the life I can never live, died the death I deserve to die, rose from the dead, is coming again. He commanded me to be baptized. Yes, he did. Well, he's my Lord. I'm not gonna argue with King Jesus. Where's the water? And they were baptized. And they were added to the church. And there's a number. Somebody was recording down. Uh, who is that? They were right. They were at about oh, 3,000 souls that day. Can you imagine all of the pools being filled and people being baptized that day? The one day. This is amazing. The church was experiencing continual growth. We see this, that they're just being added and they're gathering and they're worshiping and they're communicating the gospel. And people are asking questions like, why were you in the water? What was that about? What was going on there? Well, Jesus, it's actually a picture. He was alive. He died on the cross. I knew that. They would have said that. I, they, everybody in Jerusalem knew this Nazarene had been put to death on the cross and his tomb is empty. You want to go see it? They all knew it. This wasn't hidden. This was in the epicenter of religion, Jerusalem. And these are people who are, they, wasn't called, they weren't called Christians immediately. They were called followers of the way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. We're followers of the way. They were experiencing continual growth. Day by day, they were just being added, praising God. Verse 47, having favor with all the people, and the Lord added. The Lord added. The Lord added. How will this church grow? The Lord adds. It's, it's not us. It's not, you don't want your pastor, like, get another, uh, you know, church growth book, please. Go to another seminar on church growth. No, let's just be reminded of who our God is and that he's brought us into his family at the cost of the blood of his son that we might be his representatives to the world that when we go through trials and suffering and persecution and hardship, that we are different because we belong to God and he lives in us. And people say, why are you different? This is what I was waiting for. It's because of Jesus, not because of me. It's because of Jesus. He's my Savior. He's my Lord. The church, letter D, was unified in purpose. They're on mission. They continued steadfastly. This wasn't, hey, I'll see if I can get there. They were headed into persecution. They were headed into trials, external trials, internal testing, complaining, lying, discord. What did they do? Well, they continued in the apostles' doctrine. Centerpiece of a healthy church is sound teaching from the word of God, the main focus. It's the, the lion's share of our service is the preaching of God's word. It's, it's not music. It's not the fellowship time. It's the preaching of God's word. As a congregation, we're saying, we're saying something significant. It's the most important thing, the most important furniture in the place, the most important 
hour of the week is devoted to this is the word of God, and we come under it. The apostles' doctrine, they continued steadfastly in fellowship. They were just being together. Don't you love being together? Don't you miss when you cannot be together with your, your church family? Let me tell you, if you're missing from small group, if you're missing from fellowship, we are missing you because you're unique and you belong. There's something you can do that other people cannot do because you belong to Christ and you're part of the body. They continued steadfastly in the breaking of bread. This would include communion. We'll do this next Sunday. We usually do it the third Sunday of the month. Nothing special about the third Sunday of the month. We could do it the first and third if we wanted. Second and fourth. But, you know, but that's just the time when we are prepared and we prepare our hearts. But it also meant they shared a meal together. They were living life together. And what is a church that is unified in purpose going to have at its, at its core is they were unified in purpose in their prayers are communicating to God, Lord, use us, help us by your spirit. Christ loves the glorious church, and this is expressed. Go back to Ephesians, if you will, Ephesians chapter three. We see the example of the early church that the glory of Christ's church was exhibited. And lastly, we come down to application, and I'm encouraging us as a, body of believers, the glory of Christ's church now embraced, embraced. This is a challenge, isn't it, right now with COVID and the resurging and all of not being able to give hugs to people, not being able to necessarily shake hands as freely as we once did and how that all navigates through. The embracing Ephesians chapter 3, just listen to what Paul, how he describes this. He says in verse 7, of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. You see how he's saying it wasn't because of all of my education. I'm really something. He wasn't, he never did that. This was grace. It was given to me, verse 8, to me, though I am the very least of all the saints. Paul said that. Paul is saying, I'm a nobody. I'm at the bottom. The least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. You hear the humility in Paul there? the glory of the gospel, verse nine, and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that, now don't miss verse 10 here, underline it, highlight it, just pay attention to it, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Let me read that again. So that through the church, 
the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus, our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Don't lose heart. Understand who the church is. Commitment to the church, loved ones, it must be founded upon biblical convictions. Founded upon biblical convictions, not our personal preferences. Biblical convictions. Paul was passionate about the church because he was passionate about the gospel. He says that the unsearchable riches of Christ, that I get to preach this. I'm a nobody. I was persecuting the church and he saved me and he commissioned me. Paul's enthusiasm was not self-centered, it was God-centered. He understood that it's through the church that God's manifold wisdom is being made known. And did you see who's paying attention today to the church singing, to the preaching? Not so much the neighbors in world. It's, there's a demonic realm and there's a spiritual being realm and they're watching believers, angels that are, are holy angels. They don't know anything about redemption. They've not been redeemed. And they're watching the church, sinners transformed into saints by the blood of Jesus Christ. And they're watching us. They're watching you. And so it is with the forces of hell because they know they can't stop the church. They've tried and tried and tried, but revelation is written. It's settled. It's done. Their day is coming. Satan's day is coming. He has a limited expiration date. And Jesus reigns and will reign forever and ever. And we're his people. So in the end, we win because Jesus wins. And I'm simply, here's my statement. I'm with him. <laughs> I'm with him. He chose me, he called me, he saved me, and I'm a nobody. I can say it with Paul. And listen to what he says. He's consumed. Paul says in 2 Corinthians eleven twenty eight. and apart from the other things, he just listed this massive list of suffering. But he says that apart from all the things, there's daily pressure on me of my, of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak and I'm not weak? Who has made the fall and I'm not indignant? He's, he's saying, do you know what keeps me awake at night? It's the churches, it's people. Paul was concerned. He said, I, I love the church. I love you, Corinthians. But then he writes to them and he says, now about you? He says, I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. If I love you more, am I to be loved less I tell you the truth, Corinthians, why, why wouldn't you love me in return? I love the church is what Paul is saying. Will you respond with this love? Loved ones, I love the church. I'm a church guy. Now, the universal church, okay, little explanation here. The word is Catholic, but it's not capital C. It's lowercase. It just means Universal. There is a universal body of believers, and it's not a capital C. 
If you know Christ, if you've been saved, you are part of a universal body of Christ. You can get on a plane, drop down in India, and you're going to meet brothers and sisters in Christ that aren't part of your local church. You're part of the church. Are you following me? You can go to Africa. You can go to all, wherever the gospel has been preaching, you're going to find people that are your brothers and sisters in Christ, and we're headed to heaven together, and we're part of the universal, small case, lowercase, Catholic church. It wasn't until centuries later that that turned into uppercase, and the only way to heaven is through us and our, our, our pope and bishops and our system. That's when that changed for Roman Catholicism. There's a universal church. If you know Christ, you're part of this church. I love the church. I love the church here. I love the church in Africa. Those men who are right now thinking that they've been abandoned and forgotten, not understanding. They, I just was on with Harrison uh, just two weeks ago. He's like, Pastor Brian, they're, they're wondering, has the world forgot about us? We're praying right now. Pray with me. I want to get back there in September and, and get back with those pastors and encourage them. The church is struggling there. Leaders are having a difficult time. I'm committed to serving. That's what I said in my heart. Lord, I'm like this. You have me here for as long as you want me here. And he hasn't moved me yet, all right? This is where, he, this is where the Lord has placed me, and I'm thankful to be here. I'm thankful for every part of this ministry, for those who are greeting outside, for those who welcome, for those who clean the facilities, for our team in the back. You realize we can't do it without the team in the back. What they work through and serve through is valuable. Our, our children's ministry, teaching next door, and they're wondering, is the guy ever going to finish next, next door? Is he almost done yet? In the nurseries, the crying babies, praise God for this. This is life. This is life. This is why we're here. I'm going to go through these quickly, all right? Commitment to the church must withstand competing claims. Can I just say simply, prioritize the church. There are a lot of other important things in life, but when it comes to our spiritual lives and the training of our children and the encouraging of those older than us, our same age and younger, there's a lot of claims that will compete for your time on the Lord's Day. Just don't forget it's the Lord's Day. Well, Sunday, that's my only day when I... It's not your day. It's not my day. It's the Lord's Day, Hebrews 10, 24. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you say, see the day drawing near. The day is drawing near. So I love this illustration. I heard Alistair Begg on the radio. I was listening to him and he, he said, let me explain what this means, what it means to not forsake the assembling of yourselves. He used a, a fictitious Aunt Ruth. She comes in from Seattle. She flies in and she happens to be in on a Sunday on the Lord's Day. You really have two options. Aunt Ruth is here. Lord's Day out the window. We got to sit at home with Aunt Ruth. Okay, that's a testimony. Aunt Ruth you're here. Jesus, pfft, see ya. He said, there's another option. Aunt Ruth, we're so glad that you're here. We welcome you. Now it's Sunday and we worship. We would love to have you come with us. Will you go with us? If not, we'll be back and we'll get lunch. That says a testimony. 
and we have to work this out in a thousand ways with a thousand, maybe even more than that, competing claims. It's the Lord's day. It's the Lord's day. Our commitment to the church is demonstrated, loved ones, through actions, not just words. Actions, not just words. So let me encourage you, find your place. God has designed specifically for you and his body. Let me invite you, let me encourage you, get plugged in. When every part of the body, 1 Corinthians 12, is functioning, oh, it, it works well. The mission can be accomplished. When members live in right relationship with others, you know how, how many opportunities we have to show the glory of God when we disagree with one another? And we see, instead of like, I'm gonna go find another church. No, we sit down and we, we talk about it. And we understand, well, what's your perspective? And where, why are you feeling that way? Why are you saying that? Uh, what's going on with that? What's that tell about your heart? What's about the heart? Matthew chapter 18, the whole process, and the opportunity for us to actually grow stronger together, tighter, because of communication and love, and love abides, and we're going to spend eternity together. So this is the place where we figure it out, how to get along, how to work it out, how to work through issues. And then our kids are watching, and they say, oh, you mean we just don't run, and we just don't go somewhere else when, when things don't go our way? Yeah, that's right, because this is the body of Christ. And this is the opportunity that we have to teach our children about who the church is. And we, we go back to these three truths, that the glory of Christ's church was expressed, exhibited, and it's now, and it has been for 2,000 years, embraced. And I'm encouraging you this morning, if you have not yet embraced what the Bible says about the church, hey, today's the day. Today's the day. What are you waiting for? May we hear and respond to the word of God accordingly. Let's stand together. Let's stand together. I love being the pastor of this church, of you, all right? Not the building. I'm not in love with the building. I love the building, but I'm not in love with the building, but I love you and I'm thankful for you. And I praise God for the opportunity of serving the Lord with you here at Grace Community Church. I trust that the feeling is mutual. I'll just take it for granted that it is. But... Uh, Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your church. I thank you for your word. I thank you for the gospel that unites us together. I thank you, Lord, for each person who's here in person today and for those who have gathered online. Maybe they're not feeling well and we think of them and we miss them while they're not here. We think of those, Lord, and my heart goes out to those who are really struggling with the competing claims for the Lord's day. Father, that this message would not come across as harsh or legalistic in any way, but a call to remember their first love, to remember, to repent, and to return and serve you, Lord, in the way that is pleasing to you as they did maybe when they first came to faith in Christ. Father, we want you to be glorified. We want Christ to be this message of the gospel to be proclaimed here and everywhere. So, Lord, do your work in us. Save the lost and strengthen those who are your children, we pray, all for the glory of God and the good of all peoples. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you again for listening to Teaching from the Word at Grace Community Church. We are located in Richmond, Michigan. You can find us online at mygracechurch.com. Please subscribe and follow us at My Grace Church. It would be greatly appreciated if you would take a moment to rate, 
like, and share this message. We want you to always remember that you are loved.